This is a podcast of the worship service at Emmanuel Lutheran Church on Sunday, August the 28th. Since this is an abbreviated version of the regular service, it will begin with a hymn followed by the scriptures, then the sermon, and ending with prayers and another hymn. Scripture readings for this Sunday come next. The first reading today is from the book of Proverbs, the 25th chapter. It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. As the heavens for height and the earth for depth, so the heart of kings is unsearchable. Take away the dross from the silver, and the smith has material for a vessel. Take away the wicked from the presence of the king, and his throne will be established in righteousness. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence, or stand in the place of the great. For it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. What your eyes have seen do not hastily bring into court. For what will you do in the end, when your neighbor puts you to shame? Argue your case with your neighbor himself. And do not reveal another's secret, lest he who hears you bring shame upon you, and your ill repute have no end. The psalm for today is Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high. 
I do not occupy myself with things too great or too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is the soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. The second reading is from Hebrews, the 13th chapter. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar for which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 14th chapter. One Sabbath when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees. He said, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. He said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? They could not reply to these things. Then he told a parable to those who were invited when he, when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, 
go and sit at the lowest place, so that when your host comes to you, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the gospel of our Lord. The sermon comes next. All right, so the, the, the lesson this morning started off with uh, Jesus entering the house of the religious ones, but not just the religious ones, the ruler of the Pharisees. This is a gathering of the religious keepers, the religious critics, the ones who continuously seek to display their worth while exposing the inadequacies of others. In the house, Luke tells us today that they were watching Jesus carefully. That scene inspired all kinds of thoughts this last week. Um, how would you feel, or how do you feel, when you know that everyone is watching you? We had uh, 10, 11 people up here this morning, and there's a chance that the process of walking up here and standing in front of a bunch of folks, it's not always that comfortable, right? Um, typically, we didn't like it. Like, if, if I was just to randomly look out here and pick someone just to stand front and center and let everybody look at you, right? And then you got to turn around so they could observe not just the front of your head, but the side of your head, the bigness of your nose, the curvatures of your body, whether they are all that you want them to be or maybe not the way you want them to be, that would be uncomfortable, would it not? We wouldn't like it. It'd actually be kind of weird. For most people being watched, it is uncomfortable. And why? Where did that start? I'd say from, from childhood, more often than not, either the hero or one who is less than the hero, will be put in the middle to be watched. Now, if you happen to be blessed by God and you're considered one of the hero types, right? You know, you're, you're blessed by being born into a wealthy family, so you got the clothes and the shoes and the style going on. Maybe you're blessed with intelligence or you're just physically beautiful for the world. Um, you're strong, you're attractive, you're athletic perhaps. You have charisma, Right? If you're at the center and you're that person, well, it's, it's probably okay. Because it's another opportunity to shine your hero-ness, be recognized and admired. But there's very, actually in the world very few heroes. So frequently the targeted child who gets put in the middle of everybody's attention is the less than child. The one who receives the group's spotlight as that. Being the less than person, being in the center of attention, being up front and watch, well, it seldom turns out well. They are being examined by the group and having their deficiencies exposed. The one who's in the center of attention is receiving scrutiny and critique, maybe even insults, and the wounds that come with that. Children or even adults that find themselves um, in the center of this group action, um, they would absolutely love for someone else to be there, that they could go back to the edge and be a part of the crowd, but they can't because the group's put them there. 
And the people in the crowd, the ones on the outside with that someone else in the middle, they're very delighted that they get to stand on the edge part of the crowd. They might even contribute to the belittling and the ridiculing efforts because that will ensure that the focus remains on somebody else and it would never turn to them. It's far easier being one on the edge watching and criticizing, saying, oh, look at what they're doing that's less than perfect because with all eyes looking that way, they won't see my imperfections. Oh, well, look at how they are inferior in appearance or character or skill. Don't look at my blemishes. Don't notice my weakness or my less than ideal qualities. Yeah, look at their poverty. Look at how they're not so attractive in the world. Don't notice me. Now they contributed to that, that effort from the safety of the crowd. And children, they learn to do this, they learn to do this early on. They'll do anything to keep the crowd picking on somebody else than to ever have that crowd turn and pick on them. Now with that kind of watching, right? They're watching Jesus. With that kind of watching, there's no love. But watching with love, it changes everything. Hearts filled with love can change everything. People who are filled with love can, can watch another person of any age and from the heart cherish them and, and even encourage them. A person with heart-filled love can, can, can forgive somebody and even celebrate them just as they are. People with love in their heart are able to stand next to somebody and even work to raise them up. They're able to leave the crowd to stand next to somebody and raise them up, right? Because their hearts are filled with love, they want the best for the one that they're watching. Because their hearts are filled with love, they don't um, highlight the mistakes or belittle them. They don't draw attention to the less than perfect appearance, performance, or character of those that are in front of them. Hearts filled with love are not profited or made secure by highlighting the inadequacies of somebody else. They can watch carefully in a beautiful way. And hearts filled with love can do more than just watch. They can enter the world of the ones they love and they can accompany them. If only children and adults could stand next to and do that, how the world would change. The Son of God, Jesus, well, I was thinking about this. He could have remained in heaven among the great cloud of witnesses watching us. He could have remained there, listen, to Satan continuously highlight our gluttony, our lust, our greed, our laziness, our malice. But, and that's the erasing word, he didn't stay in that crowd of accusers or critics, no. Because of his great love, he joined those who were less than perfect to accompany us, to assist us, and to raise us up. Luke tells us of a Sabbath day, a day Jesus was asked to dine in the home of a ruling Pharisee. Now, we know from the previous 14 chapters of Luke's gospel that that the Pharisees, they're generally not friends and supporters and encouraging people for Jesus. 
they don't love Jesus. And they're not watching him carefully because they, they long to hear his teaching, that they, they want to share life with him, that they want to display respect and affection of, of him. So if that's the case, that makes this invitation very suspicious. The invitation to a powerful, popular one's home is made even more suspicious because it's going to take place on a Sabbath. Up until this point, more than six times, Scripture records that Jesus has displayed his loving heart to the world around him on a Sabbath. Every time on the Sabbath, he has looked with love upon someone who has need, and he has healed them. He has gone to them or invited them to him, and in that interaction, he has loved them, and he has healed them. And every time he has done that, the Pharisees have criticized him, watched him and criticized him, judged and attacked him to his face and behind his back. So now this day, in the Pharisees' house, on a Sabbath... Yellow flags waving. Eyes up. What's going on? They're watching him carefully. I imagine they're watching him carefully during this pre-meal um, activity, right? Does he wash his hands properly? Does he pray and, and um, posture properly? Does he respect the homeowner and the prestigious guests properly? Did he take the lowest seats? Does he display etiquette and, and courtesies befitting that community. And then they're going to watch him during the meal. Does he chew with his mouth open? Does he double dip? Does he eat in proper order? Drink at proper time? Give proper gratitude? Does he take a seat again at the proper place? They are watching Jesus, folks, but not in a loving way. With sinful hearts and selfish dark motives, they are watching him. The social elite, the wealthy ones, the popular ones, the powerful ones, the attractive ones, the specialists in the Sabbath law, they are watching Jesus carefully. And I was thinking about that. You know what's really happening here? Do you know what that kind of watching is? It's a trial, it's not in a courtroom. This is a trial that's taking place in a home. Into a home of the leader. These, the leader of these clean code keepers. Into the home filled with aspiring second and third level law keepers, right? The ones they're trying to be at the pinnacle now. People who take being clean seriously and call out the failures of others when they don't do so publicly into that home now, somehow an unclean man is allowed to enter. I would never see that coming unless they wrote it down. Think about it. They would never, ever be allowed to get within a touching distance of a Pharisee, especially a ruling Pharisee on the Sabbath. And now, surprise, here he is in the home, in, in the home of the ruling Pharisee's house, right? There is an unclean man that has dropsy. It's not a word we use very often anymore. They've changed it medically and scientifically, the descriptions, I think. This is an unclean, unwanted, 
embarrassing man with a disease that I think, if I look this up right, correct me afterwards, medical guys and gals, but it's a disease of a heart, liver, kidneys generally that leads to swelling. And that great swelling disfigures the face and the arms and the body and the legs. Swelling that's just excessive. Dropsy. A man that looks like that is allowed to enter the leader's house when his privileged guests are there at a dinner gathering on the Sabbath? Oh my gosh. It's not just a trial. This is an intentional trap. It's to trap Jesus. We read in a variety of places that Jesus knows about the hearts and the thoughts of his disciples, right? He says, like, what were you guys arguing about there? Why are you guys so afraid? He just has a sense of what we think and what we feel. It's a gift of God. He knows us more than we want him to know us. He knows our motives, good or bad, right? So Jesus is in this place, and he knows the minds and the hearts of the Pharisees, groups that are all around him. This ruler and the crowd of Pharisees have set a trap, but no worries, Jesus knows. Jesus recognizes their sick, bitter, sinful hearts, and he knows about their sly trap. Jesus has chosen to be there. I want you to think about that. He's chosen to be in this house on this day in the midst of this trial and trap. He has chosen to bring love and, and the power and the plan of God to those who admit they're being sinful and sinners in bondage to that, as well as those who don't see themselves sinful at all and consider themselves righteous. He will go to both of those classes of sinners. And he's chosen to be there. If he would walk across his country to make sure he was at a well in Samaria on this special day when he can meet that woman and bring her to knowledge and the whole village to know that, as much as he would do that, or walk all the way to the north for a Syrophoenician woman to, to forgive her and bring healing to her child, all of those things, then Jesus on this day made sure that he was going to be in this home on this day to make sure that the sinners, these, these, these Pharisees, would be able to have an invitation to listen, have a change of heart, and follow. Because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And now that he's there, and he's the center of the room's attention, he asks a question. And in, and in doing so, it's almost like he's stomping on the trigger of the trap, right? There's different ways of saying traps. There's levers and little things you can pull. He's pulling on the triggers and pushing on it. He's trying to set this thing going. And, and in doing so, um, he's going to ask the question, is it lawful to heal people on the Sabbath or not? Now, as he asks that question, he's presenting a direct legal precedent question to them. What he's basically saying to them is, what's more important, keeping the legal tradition and not working or loving your neighbor? Which one is it? He's pressuring the Pharisees' trigger trap, right? Only now, they're the ones being trapped. They will have to wrestle with this question. I can imagine when he asks that question, they just start looking around to each other. Like, well, what are you going to say? Well, you, you've been in church a lot longer than I have. How would you answer this? 
And eventually they might turn to the, the ruling guy and say, okay, you're the ruler here. What's your answer to that question? But they don't say a word. They fail to see that loving God in perfection means that you love your neighbor in perfection, especially on the Sabbath. They are exposed at this point as self-preserving, selfish, judgmental cowards. They who are in the crowd, well, they're now, now they're being watched, and they don't like it. They remain silent. Jesus' question to them is more than a legal question. Jesus' question actually is a question of the heart. His question, combined with their answer, displays their heart. Jesus' answer, in the form of his action, will display both his heart and the heart of his Father in heaven. Because in that place, Jesus heals him. He heals the man with dropsy, physically, relationally, communally. He will no longer be put into the middle of a ruling pharisaic house and be exposed and highlighted as being less than. His physical disease and pain will no longer be used against him. He will not be shamed and labeled by them as unclean. He will, from that day going forward, be known as the man whom the Son of God loved and healed. And he will not stay there. He will not stay there under scrutiny and criticism and judgment under those small men of small character. No. He will now go home amongst those he loves. He is restored. Now, with that life's lesson presented, Jesus offers now a second chance, a second chance kind of question. He says, Jesus will give um, one more chance for those who are enjoying the power and the affluence, the respect and esteem. They're in those positions of hero-ness. I'll give them a chance that maybe their hearts would be touched and their hearts would be restored. He asks another question. If your child, not his child, her child, if your child falls into the well on a Sabbath, drowning, dark, terrified, scared. Or if your ox, you know, your means of wealth, if your means of wealth falls into the well on the Sabbath, will you not immediately stop everything, go there and work to pull them out? Save them? That was his question. Now, knowing that their answers would expose them as either lawbreakers or heartless parents, they remained silent. Cowards. Their hearts are in a desperate, diseased condition. Basically, they have dropsy of the heart, and they don't recognize it. It's tragic and it's sad. And here's what he just exposed in that question. That they misuse the Sabbath. The purpose of the Lord's Sabbath 
and the command of keeping the Sabbath, it was about commanding us to rest in him, to be close to him and healed in him, to be strengthened by him, by command if necessary, because we are so foolish that we might not recognize the good in it. So if nothing else, we do it just because we're ordered to. That's what the Sabbath was for. The Sabbath, a command to rest with the God who loves us perfectly. A command to reflect upon heaven's ways, to be cherished and blessed and nurtured, to leave the world for just a, a time and rest with the Father who loves. That's why we have the Sabbath. Taking it a step further, if Jesus knows, I mean, Jesus knows that if it were their son, if, if it was someone that they loved and they cared for who fell into the well, that they wouldn't follow so closely that letter of the law, that with love from their heart, they would go to them and they would save them. He's trying to stir up in their thoughts that that's the proper thing to do. And they remain silent. Then he takes it one more. He says, but if your ox, right, this is your means to provide for your family to do the work that can sustain you in the fields in this world. If that fell into the well, I know you, you would forsake the law and in a heartbeat, you would go to save that massive family so that you, or animal so that you could provide for your family. You would do that because you love them. But they remain silent. Their hearts are diseased. Their actions, their motives, their silence reflect that they neither love God the way he tells them to, the way they say they do, and they do not love their neighbor. On that day, heaven is gathered around them, witnessing their wicked, malicious hearts. And because of Luke's gospel, the world has been made aware of that as well. We are all witnesses to the events of that day. Now that Jesus has exposed their hearts, that they're inwardly turned and wicked, they could repent. They could say, oh Lord, I'm sorry. I'm recognizing the condition of my heart. I'm recognizing how I'm not loving as I want to love and I'm not the person I, you're calling me to be. I'm neither loving you the way you've taught me or I'm not loving the people around me the way you've instructed, the way you love me. I am completely failing. Oh God, heal my heart. I have dropsy of the heart. Lord, have mercy. They could do that and Jesus would forgive them. They could pause and they could reflect upon the condition of their hearts. And together, this whole group could prayerfully approach God seeking forgiveness. They could recognize the needs of those around them. And together, they could prayerfully seek to assist them and to, to raise them up. Instead of putting them in the middle to shame them, they could put them in the middle so they could collectively lift them up. They could be living extensions of God's mercy and love and blessing living reflection of the words that they hold so true, that our Lord is merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, that they could be examples of that God in the world around them. We don't know if any of them eventually repented or confessed. And we don't know if any of them turned to Jesus to be healed. On this day, we can only reflect upon our hearts not the hearts of the people in the room around us or the people who aren't here with us, the people in the world. On this day, 
we're called to reflect on our hearts, our motives, our love of God and our love of neighbor, or the lack thereof. God gave his son to show all people this way, the truth, and the life. God inspired the writers of Luke's gospel to preserve this experience in writing and then to present that experience in writing to us today. The lesson, it wasn't for the Pharisees only. It was for you and for me that we would prayerfully consider the condition of our hearts and our life goals What are the priorities of our life? How does loving God fit? How does loving neighbor fit? And then with that stirring, that we would prayerfully seek forgiveness. That we'd ask God to forgive us and renew us and lead us. That we would look at others with loving hearts and see their gifts and their best efforts and not highlight the mistakes the sentences that didn't have a period, the misspelled words, the hair that's not combed, the clothes that aren't appropriate, whatever it is that we critique and judge, that we just set that aside and we would love people, that we would look with loving hearts and raise them up and we would encourage them to be the person God created them to be, that we would look with love and that we would forgive and that we would renew them, that we would lead them to Christ. That's before us today, church. And God, help us be that church. Amen. The sermon is followed by the prayers. Let's pray for the whole people of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would continue to call us to serve your holy purposes. We ask that you would continue to look upon us with mercy and patience as we do our best to bring you into our homes and lives. Lord, in your mercy. As you enter into our messy and confused worlds, we ask that you would bring direction, hope, and peace, so that we might have the ability, strength, and courage to follow the example of your Son. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would inspire the hearts and minds of leaders around the world so that they might personally submit to you as Lord and Savior. We ask that you would work through global and local leaders to bring relief to the poor, peace to places of war, and freedom for all. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, look with favor upon all who mourn loved ones, all who are under excessive life stress, all who are wounded by sin, and all who are in need of healing, especially those we name in our hearts now. 
Lord, we also pray this day. Jameson, our friend Jameson Jones. Lord, the biggest, deepest voice I've ever heard. But Lord, he's also a godly man. Lord, I, we ask as a congregation here who has been blessed by his spirit and his voice that, Lord, you would protect him in the days, months ahead. Lord, that you give him strength to en endure the, uh, the environment that he's going to be uh, immersed into. Lord, that you would have him shine his faith and his strength in faith amidst any environment that he's in, that the, the darkness of the world will never out, uh, outdo the light that you shine through him. Lord, watch over him. Watch over those that love him and will miss him while he's away. And Lord, in the opportunity arises, bring that strong man back to here to worship with us again. Lord, into your hands we commend him. Actually, we're going to commend all of the ones that we know that serve our country, put themselves in harm's way daily. Lord, that you would uh, guide those that command them, that they would be led appropriately. Lord, that they would be protected by you, that they would rep represent you as their God um, well. Lord, into your hands we commend this. And we commend all the concerns and all the things we have that come to our minds and hearts this day. And we will trust, Lord, that you have heard our prayers and in your hands we're going to be okay. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we have boldly prayed. Amen. podcast closes with a hymn.
Yeah.